Hello, Prestige Heads, and welcome to another bonus episode of American Prestige. I am very proud and happy to be here with Clayton Kozan, a PhD candidate in history at Texas Tech University. Uh, and we here at American Prestige have invited Clayton on in order to discuss one of the topics that uh, I am particularly interested in, and I believe Derek has almost no interest in, and that <laughs> is the role of video games in American culture, and particularly how how video games portray certain um, historical moments, uh, and how video games really, I think, reinforce the culture of militarism that has defined uh, American culture for decades since the United States emerged as a global hegemon uh, during and after World War II. So, Clayton, why don't we just start with the beginning? Um what made you interested in studying video games? What appealed to you about this particular topic? Yeah. Um, well, first, thanks for thanks for having me. Very much appreciate it. And it probably just stems from my I've I've always played video games my entire life. Uh, I didn't necessarily intend on studying them or writing about them. It was just something I'd, I've done for forever. And um, as I got to a point now in my PhD program of trying to come up with a dissertation topic, I actually hadn't written about video games specifically. Um, except for one class I took on war and memory. And I wrote about Call of Duty Black Ops. And um, from that, decided to uh, basically focus on writing about how the Vietnam War is portrayed in video games, because it is uh, largely absent from the historiography of how the Vietnam War is portrayed in popular culture. There's a lot on comics, on film, on novels, but there's really not a lot written about how the Vietnam War is portrayed through video games. So it's kind of how I landed on on that topic. Otherwise, prior to that, I've, I've mostly focused on kind of um, media representations and wars, like how are wars presented through the media, how are they sold to the public, and so on and so forth. So why don't we start there? How? What are? I mean, obviously, the Vietnam War is portrayed in a lot of different ways in popular culture. But if you could sort of situate the general broad strands of how the Vietnam War is portrayed, uh, what would you say? How, what are the general ways that U.S. culture discusses the war in popular media representation? I'd say during the kind of the during the war uh, movies kind of uh, portrayed the Vietnam War as a kind of moralistic, such as um, kind of the movie that John Wayne starred in, The Green Berets, based on um, Robin Moore's novel, the same name, released in 1965. Green Berets was released in 68. They were <clears throat> showing the Vietnam War as this kind of, um, as a noble cause, as a worthy cause. And by the time you get into the 1970s, you have films like Apocalypse Now and Platoon that show the uh, the war is more of kind of uh, immoral as something we shouldn't have been involved in, something we had no business being involved in. And later on, um, movies like uh, We Were Soldiers in the early 2000s kind of portray it as amoral, as not necessarily digging into the politics as much as looking at each side uh, fighting for, you know, their country and doing their duty. It's not as much looking at the politics of it. And I think video games, uh, there's been about 50, 60 or so Vietnam War video games that have been released since the early 1980s. And partially with them being kind of released later, uh, a lot of them 
take this kind of amoral stance. You're not looking at, you know, why are we in Vietnam? They're not answering a question politically of like, what are we doing there? Almost all Vietnam War games will start off kind of dropping you into the middle of a jungle. Your helicopter has been shot down and you have to kind of fight your way out to survive. They don't address the political implications or economic reasons or any other reasons why we're being there other than to um, just kind of say that people were trying to survive and that's where the player gets put in. So obviously I think one would most naturally compare a Vietnam War video game to other representations of American war. So how are other American wars portrayed before we get into the depths of the Vietnam War portrayal? And most famously, how, how in particular is World War II portrayed in video games or how has that shifted over time or has it mostly been the same? Um, World War II is definitely the most popular of, I mean, it's, it's probably similar with cinema and film. It's, it's the most popular war that's in video games. Uh, there's, you know, I think two to 300 at least World War II video games. And, you know, they'll, they'll often start off with the bombing of Pearl Harbor or talking about uh, we have to stop Nazi aggression. Uh, we're responding to an attack by, you know, Japan. There was a surprise attack by a sovereign nation that, you know, did some underhanded things and attacking us on Pearl Harbor. And therefore we are justified in our response. And the rest of the games can play out following that, that um, we were justified in being there and so on. Whereas, like I said, the Vietnam games tend to just kind of drop you in the middle of it without any explanation of why we're there. So the World War II games tend to focus on those kind of reasons that we were attacked or we're going against Nazi ideology. And that's a much easier kind of way to portray the war that everybody can agree with or that everybody can kind of get on board with, I suppose. And so it's almost like the World War II games make an argument in favor of a just war, a jus ad bellum is, I think, the Latin phrase for it. But obviously, that's, of course, much more difficult in Vietnam. So the games you're, you're suggesting, you're saying, basically presents an amorality, that it's just about action, that it's on, the only thing you're able to do is fight the war. So what are some of the characteristics of the Vietnam War video games? Or maybe we could start before you answer that question, is what are some of the big Vietnam War video games that, you know, listeners might have heard of? Probably the biggest one uh, by far, I would say, is is, uh, 2010's Call of Duty Black Ops. Um, It was released in 2010, and that was, at that point, the highest grossing video game of all time. Uh, It it surpassed the previous iteration of the Call of Duty franchise, Call of Duty 2 Modern Warfare. Um, And when Black Ops came out, it's largely an entire story that is mostly taking place in Vietnam. You take place in part of the Tet Offensive. Uh, You're fighting outside of Hue. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of uh, kind of, there's even scenes in there that kind of evoke previous movies, such as there's a scene in there where you are forced to play Russian roulette. uh, And there's another character in there played by Ice Cube who kills himself playing Russian roulette. And then you're forced to do it. And you have to escape an interrogation camp. which itself is interesting. That's another part of what I want to look at is how different cultural products and different cultural representations of the war find their way into video game narratives. For example, that Russian roulette scene is just out of Deer Hunter. There's no documented cases of American POWs being forced to play Russian roulette, at least on any kind of mass scale. But 
nonetheless, Black Ops kind of perpetuates that narrative um, and showing that in their game. Uh, yeah, Black Ops is probably the, the biggest one by far that's really focused on Vietnam. Um, a lot of the, the other games didn't have nearly the um, amount that it was sold, like the kind of widespread appeal to the public that that, that game had in particular. So what were some of the other ones? Is Contra is not a Vietnam War game, right? That's a Central America game? Yeah. I mean, technically it's not. Uh, you can make an argument that it is. It's about you know soldiers fighting through a jungle and fighting, you know, trying to survive or something. I've, I've chosen, at least in my project, to uh, just limit it to the games that are specifically focused on the Vietnam War. Otherwise, there's tons of other games that may have, like, a level where you're fighting in the jungle or something like that, that is maybe meant to approximate or replicate a Vietnam War experience, but they're not about the Vietnam War exactly. Um, but, I mean... Since the, the 80s, there was a, you know, a Rambo game released in the Atari in 1985, uh, which, you know, is, is pretty rudimentary. And you end up fighting in there not only endless masses of North Vietnamese army soldiers, but you end up fighting fire spitting snakes and flamingos and flying piranhas and <laughs> lots of other crazy things. But, um, you know, as game technology evolves you're able to tell more engrossing and complete narratives. You're going from something like the Atari that, you know, has very rudimentary graphics and sound all the way up to today where you have original scores, you have Hollywood screenwriters, you know, writing the narratives for these games. You have A-list actors coming in to do the voiceover work and do CG like animations. Um, so, uh, yeah. So what are the messages of those early games and sort of like, you know, Rambo's released in 85, Platoon's released around the same time, it's post-apocalypse now. How do those, um, the messages in like those early, that early Rambo game re reflect what was out, what else was going on in the culture about the portrayals of the Vietnam War? I think the games that are released in the, in the 80s are pretty interesting because a lot of them, Rambo First Blood Part 2 being one of them, another one being um, MIA, Missing in Action, uh, released in 1989 in the arcades. Um, and they have a lot of focus on the POWs and MIA kind of controversy. So, <clears throat> you know, when you and get that's done, a right wing we, conspiracy, essentially. Right. Yeah. As Kathleen Bellew yeah. has shown and others have shown, that's very much uh, associated with white nationalist movements and sort of a lost cause narrative about the war. Yeah. Like, for example, when you beat the, the 1989 game, MIA Missing in Action, and you get done, um, it essentially says, you know, mission accomplished. And then at the bottom in like a blinking text, it says, but there are still others out there who need to be saved. And it's you know, referring to POWs there. And same with the Rambo game, uh, despite you flying lots of or fighting lots of kind of crazy things like flying piranhas and whatnot, you know, his he's supposed to go in there and kind of rescue POWs or just he's supposed to just take pictures of a POW camp to later be extracted. But in the game, he goes in and he he finds a POW camp and he on his own initiative decides to free all of them and fight his way out of the jungle and, you know, save the POWs. And um, so there's a lot of these kind of 89 games that really focus on you're there to fight and extract the POWs that are still there. So does that relate at all to the Vietnam syndrome? Because it's interesting, you know, the Vietnam syndrome for listeners who don't know, it's essentially the idea that 
after Vietnam and before the Gulf War, there was a reticence for the United States to, to fight abroad. And this, in some sense, contributed to a form of a crisis of masculinity within the United States in the sense that Americans, for the first time in a generation, weren't being drafted to fight wars. So what is the relationship between the Vietnam syndrome and these early games? I imagine that must be pretty strong. They must be, you know, evincing some sort of narrative about American masculinity and American war fighting. But what have you found in your research? Yeah, they, I mean, most of the games you play as a white male protagonist who's really buff and jacked out of his mind. Um, he's always wearing like a sleeveless t-shirt and a, oftentimes a green beret. And you're going in and you're solo fighting all of the North Vietnamese army that don't really distinguish between, you know, NLF or VC or NVA. It's just kind of a mass of Vietnamese soldiers that are, you know, quote unquote, bad guys and everything. And, you know, the, the goal in all of these games is to shoot and kill your way through all this unending horde of enemies that has no ideology or will other than to harm Americans and kill Vietnamese civilians. And you're to go in solo and, you know, lay as much destruction as you can because these are the bad guys and that's how you take care of problems is through brute force and you can do that on your own and you're more than able to do so. It's kind of how these games tend to play out. And it's a type of reaffirmation. Uh, I, mean, of a, I guess I think it connects to, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it's kind of a reaffirmation of American masculinity in some sense, but you were saying you think it connects to? Yeah, no, just, it, you know, connects to this Vietnam syndrome in the sense of us having this perceived loss of masculinity or this kind of idea that we are no longer able to go out and assert our will in the world but through these games you're able to and not only are you able to but you do so and you do so definitively and you know kind of on your own terms so it's it's kind of this playing through this wishful thinking that we are able to go in ourselves if you know if only given you know if we didn't have the one hand tied behind our back sort of thing we can go in ourselves with overwhelming firepower and clear out the rest of the enemies. And um, so it's kind of playing through this, this wish. So that's kind of a, a very reactionary perspective. And that's kind of interesting, especially in light of what's going on in Kabul now. And you see some conservative arguments along the same lines that if only the United States stayed in Afghanistan or was given more more resources or something along those lines, it would have won. But then, of course, yeah. what happens between 1989 and 1991 is the Cold War Ends. And then, of course, in 1991, you have the Gulf War and this affirmation of American imperial might. And, it, you know, it's it's not that costly for the United States. And the United States shows the world that it's able to win wars. So does the end of the Cold War and the, you know, sort of advent of the Gulf War, does that change how Vietnam is portrayed uh, in video games? And what are some of the big games from the 90s? You know, that's one area where there's really not... That's something I was thinking about myself, and I want to try to address more uh, kind of in, as I keep going through it. There's there's not a lot of Vietnam games that are released in the 90s. It seems like there's a, a chunk of them released in the 80s, um, not quite as many in the 90s, and then they kind of pick up again in the 2000s. Um, that, that's something I guess I wanted to try to address uh, as, I, as I get into it a little bit more. 
That's pretty interesting because then that suggests that the end of history moment is a moment in which the United States, or at least those, you know, the people who are making these video games, they don't want to look back to the moment of American imperial decline. They don't, they don't want to really see the moment of American weakness during this height of this apex of American power. Um, so that's, that to me yeah. suggests what's going on in the 1990s during that end of history. I'm, I'm curious because it's particularly after saving Private Ryan and before 9-11, there's an explosion in World War II games. There's Medal of Honor. Um, and there's, what's the other big series? Was it the original Call of Duty? Yeah. Yeah. They're both basically D-Day games. And to me, the, you know, the release of those games in the late 1990s are essentially part of the same cultural phenomenon that was um, reflected in Saving Private Ryan, which is that it's baby boomers trying to reflect on the role of the American empire in the absence of a genuinely existential threat. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting that you say that more Vietnam War games come out in the 2000s because, of course, 9-11 happens, you get the war on terror, you get the reintroduction of language from the early Cold War of the United States fighting an existential enemy in, you know, what is variously called Islamic jihadism, radical Islam, even sometimes Islamofascism. So what are some of the big Vietnam War games of the 2000s um, that you focus on in in, uh, the dis? Um, There's a couple of them. One being a 2003, it's called Line of Sight, Vietnam. Um, essentially, the player kind of takes control of a squad of soldiers that are fighting for kind of tactical objectives on a mission-by-mission basis throughout the game. Um, you know, uh, kind of patrolling a village or aiding a convoy that has been blown up and hit an IED or, um, you know, doing some kind of search and destroy mission or, or something like that. And again, it's kind of the similar thing of your role in the game is acting as a soldier and performing these tactical objectives. It's not asking, you know, why are you doing this or why are we there or any of these sorts of things. It's just kind of you have to do this and this is what you must do to survive. Um, another game is uh, 2005's Elite Warriors Vietnam, which is also made by the same publisher. Uh And it's a very kind of similar thing. You're just working on going, you know, doing one tactical objective after another. You're dropped in the middle of the jungle. You're maybe controlling a squad of people uh, that usually is in some way kind of like similar to World War II movies. And they have, you know, all different kind of uh, people like they'll they'll have like uh, a Chinese person in there. They'll have a Native American person in there. They'll have a. african-american person in there you're usually playing as the white person but it's this kind of like everybody's in this together but they're not asking why or how or for what reason it's just you're all fighting together and working together to complete these tactical objectives do these games ever portray north vietnam at all or the north vietnamese leadership in any significant way or is it just literally it's totally tactical no one ever talks about the strategic situation of the war because that's very different from uh world war ii games which oftentimes begin with at least a map you know is there a map in any of these games do you have a sense you're you're in way or or it's the tet offensive or you're in saigon how does the game portray those things Hmm. They do it differently in, in different games. Like some of them may portray it as um, just kind of a generic Vietnamese sounding name that's fictional. 
and you're in this area. Others do say maybe you're you're in way or they'll give specific dates. Sometimes, uh, for example, in that Elite Warriors game, Vietnam from 2005, they'll uh, give you like a little dossier at the start of each mission that's you can like flip through kind of fake intel pages. It might give you a map or it might tell you about who, you know, what the villagers are doing or, um, and that's normally where they'll talk about the Vietnamese perspective, but in doing so, it's always in a way that is they're terrorizing villagers. Um, they are trying to kill you and your friends and they don't like freedom. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it. For example, in this 2005, Elite they, Warriors, they certainly hate freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this, in this 2005 game, for example, there's a, well, like when the game begins, there's like an overlay of real footage of the war that is accompanied by a narrator who warns the player that the VC will try to like, quote, hunt down and kill every member of your team. And then while you're playing the game, there's little ambient things like you can walk by. There might be speakers that are playing that have propaganda coming out that say uh, things like communism will through the body will promote democracy. That's a quote through the game, but it comes out the speakers. Uh, or that um, the Communist Party and the NLF, quote, represent the best interests of the Vietnamese people. Um, or they talk about how uh, the VC had been, if you talk to a villager in the game, or if you get some kind of intel note from them, a villager would say that uh, the VC had been terrorizing the village and stealing their food, kidnapping young men and beating people. So all you really know about them is that they're causing lots of terror, they're disruptive, they don't like freedom, and they're killing civilians, and they're trying to kill you. So what choice do you have? Um, and the only choice is, you know, to keep shooting and fighting. So do these games ever address any war crimes or anything negative uh, committed by the United States? Because uh, one of the characteristics of Call of Duty, particularly the recent ones, is they actually do portray the American government as a bit evil or, um, you know, defined by subterfuge and intra-bureaucratic um, fighting. So mm -hmm. is that ever addressed in any of these games? Because uh, famously, you know, there are a lot of war crimes were committed during Vietnam. And I was wondering, it seems like that's become a part of the popular imagination. Hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't say they really do. Uh, for the most part, I would say they don't. Uh, there are some, like, I've tried to pay attention to, you know, it's kind of like game-breaking behavior, but it's like trying to see what the game's going to do. So, for example, in the line of sight game, I see what happens if you shoot non-combatants and you can shoot civilians that are walking around the game and nothing happens. Like no, there's no like prompt or nothing happens. You just kind of keep moving. Um, and in the 2005 game, again, elite warriors, Vietnam, they, if you shoot a civilian, it immediately ends your mission and it says mission failed. You cannot shoot non-combatants. Um, so some games kind of, you know, don't address it at least in, you know, in, indirectly, they definitely don't do any storylines around it. You're not playing through the My Lai Massacre or anything like that. Uh, there's nothing like that. The only thing that's close to that is in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, where there was not focused on Vietnam, but that game famously had a, had a level where you play as Russian terrorists that go through an airport terminal and start shooting civilians all over the place. That game was banned in Australia. It was banned in other countries. There was debate if it would be banned in the U.S., just because uh, of that level. So you can imagine if countries have a problem of portraying, you know, 
the the Russians killing civilians, there's no way you're going to portray Americans going around killing civilians in, in any kind of story mode or anything like that. Um, but to your other point or question about um, if um, kind of how much the the games address this in different ways, um, I lost my train of thought there. Is there is there a message from these basically? pre-Black Ops games, because I want to focus on Black Ops for a minute because those are so, it's such an enormously successful game that it's going to have an enormous impact. But was there any message of sort of the mid-aughts games before we get to Black Ops in 2010, I believe? Yeah. Um, Not really. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of my, my point or what I've taken away from it is that there's, there's no politics involved. It's just kind of, you're there to survive. They don't want you to think about the, you know, political implications or any reason why you're there. You're just, you're there to fight and survive. And um, this is also where I try to make a distinction. It's, it's kind of easy to lump together and talk about all American games or kind of how, how it's all portrayed. But, you know, these, these are games that are released by commercial companies. I'm not uh, looking at games, you know, none of these games are specifically released by the military or anything. So a lot of... Which is America's Army, the famous game. Yeah, that one definitely, that is released by an Army video game production studio in 2002, um, which was used as a recruiting tool and very successful. That game was even codenamed Operation uh, Starfighter, which is like an homage to the 1984 uh, movie, The Last Starfighter, where you play as... Are you familiar with that movie? Last Starfighter? Yeah, I am, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you know, this kid in the arcade who's really good at killing aliens uh, in a video game gets recruited to stop an actual alien invasion because of his great video game skills. So America's Army is released as this for free as a recruiting tool, essentially for the Army. And in its development, it was kind of named Operation Starfighter, thinking that we will recruit people that are good at video games to do a similar thing. So let's get to Black Ops. Yeah. So what is the plot of this game? And what do you think that plot says about how Vietnam is portrayed in video games? Yeah, the, the plot of Black Ops is a bit different. Uh, there, there is pretty, a pretty overt kind of political message um, compared to the other games, but they do so using making it heavily fictionalized. You can at least make a, a pretty good argument about the kind of previous aught um, Vietnam games that they're at least trying to be true to like a, a perspective of a soldier or they kind of show the dangers of IEDs or punji tra- traps or something like that. Um, but the 2010 Black Ops game, you're essentially charged with uh, stopping a chemical attack by the Soviet Union who is gonna, going to release this chemical weapon called Nova 6. And of course, it's developed by Nazi scientists, and they're going to release it all over America to kill Americans. That's the only goal. Um, And it's kind of a convoluted plot. Uh, Essentially, it's kind of a Manchurian candidate type plot where you're playing as this person. The scene, the game opens up with you being interrogated and you don't know by who or why, but they're essentially interrogating you to find out information that the player isn't privy to yet. As you play through the game and you play through missions in the Tet Offensive and Hue, you also go by, um, you go near Russia to China and all of these things trying to figure out how to stop this big chemical attack being unleashed by the Soviet Union. Uh, you find out that you also play through a, a level where you're um, imprisoned in the Gulag in, in Russia. 
Um, and on your way out, you, you know, it's all crazy. It's like a Michael Bay movie, you know, turned up to 11. You find a motorcycle to escape and you jump out and you've got a shotgun in one hand and you're shooting people. You jump onto the back of a pickup truck that's got a Gatlin gun and you're shooting down helicopters and, you know, it's all just crazy action. But basically, fast forward to the end of the kind of the plot is while you're in the gulag, the game says that you have been brainwashed by the Soviet Union in order to release this Nova 6 chemical all over the United States. And so these people that were interrogating you in the beginning were your fellow Americans, part of a special operation team that were trying to extract the information from you that you couldn't remember yourself. So it's like you had these false memories implanted in your head or you had these kind of like, you know, you were brainwashed basically. And so then the rest of the game is you trying to figure out how to stop them, how to go kill the guys that brainwashed you and how to stop this chemical attack. That's a very interesting plot. And it's very different from the types of 1980s, 2000s games you were talking about earlier. So what do you think is essentially the cultural meaning of that plot? And what does it reflect of the type of mid-global war on terror moment in which it was made? I think it could have to do with just, again, I think Americans always want to, you know, we always want to find meaning in why we fight, uh, why we're anywhere, what are we doing in any country. And kind of like I've said with the previous games that don't really address political or economic dimensions, uh, you know, that game just makes it up. So when you don't have a good origin story or you don't have a good reason for being there that can be agreed upon by everybody, you just make up a narrative that uh, the Soviets are looking to chemical attack the entire United, United States using Nazi technology. So I think it has something to do with <laughs> we all just want to believe that we're doing good everywhere. And I think that's the other kind of subtext of it is that a lot of like that, that whole narrative and the whole chemical plot thing is not like released to the public. You know, it's just you and your small group of knowledgeable individuals that know about this. Uh, you know, you're specially, you know, specially trained tactical soldiers that they are the ones that know about this and the American public doesn't. So it's like implying that we're in Vietnam and we're fighting, but we're doing it for all of these great reasons. But the Americans just don't know about it. And that also very much reflects to me the type of operator culture that was getting off the ground around Zero Dark Thirty and this notion that like SEAL Team 6 was going to save us all. And that, you know, even if it seems like our government isn't doing things that are that are right by us, we at least have the operators going on. Uh, and I also find this sort of use of brainwashing very interesting. I wrote about that in my Call of Duty piece because, again, it's a very early Cold War thing, the idea that some uh, nefarious power is going to use brainwashing in order yeah. you know, to, to take over the world or to do something dastardly. And it's interesting that it returns in type of... In, the sort of mid-global war on terror moment. Uh, and that it's also really interesting that we get the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany because, you know, they're kind of the only bad guys that the United States could uh, agree on. So we're, by bringing them into Vietnam, you're essentially kind of trying mm -hmm. to steal World War II valor and apply it to the Vietnam War era. Do, do you think any of that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a good point. It's It's trying to, again, just come up with this great grand reason of why we were there that everybody can agree with. And, you know, that's where we've talked about the World War II games before. And it seems like, you know, the 
kind of generally agreed upon just war that all Americans can get behind because when else are we attacked by a sovereign nation in a surprise way and then declared war upon, uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of like everybody agrees with that one. So it's kind of creating that fiction for the Vietnam War. And I think it's also interesting at the end of the game, at the end of Black Ops, you know, this basically what happens is you end up fighting, you find the, the you know, the bad Soviet guys, you kill them, you stop the chemical attack. And then there's this kind of, you know, great cutscene at the end of you emerging from this, you know, submarine where you help stop the attack. And then a bunch of American, you know, destroyers roll up or big, you know, ships kind of all roll up and put the American flag flowing and hooray, you did it. But then the very end shows a cutscene of like actual footage of JFK going down Dallas. And then it shows a superimposed image of your character in the background, implying that the brainwashing ultimately worked and you had a hand in assassinating President Kennedy. So it kind of ends with this whole thing of that, even though technically you succeeded, uh, you still ultimately were brainwashed and were killed. So there's still a reason to fight. You know, there's still a reason to keep going against these people. And it also, I think, reflects the profound cynicism that begins to permeate especially younger Americans during the war on terror. This notion that you're not really going to be able to rely on your government to save you, that the government's lying to you, the government's spying on you, which obviously becomes clear in 2013 with Snowden. And so you mm-hmm. you see this profound shift from the 80s, you know, the one man POW MIA sort of making things right to the cynicism of the uh, 2010s when, when the yeah. I- idea that the government is going to save you, even if it's in a righteous anti-Nazi, anti-Soviet cause, is much less believable. So how do you think uh, the Vietnam War, if, if as we're coming up on the end here, what do you think the last few years, you know, the post-Black Ops... Um, uh, the post-Black Ops moment. I know there was a scene in Black Ops Cold War that portrayed the Vietnam War, another game about brainwashing, um, and another game where you kind of are, are the kind, uh, are a rogue agent going through mm-hmm. the world. So what would you say the, the last few years of Vietnam War video games have demonstrated or reflected? Um, again, it kind of varies on game to game. There was uh, the 2018 there's a game Far Cry 5, Hours of Darkness, which is an expansion for the game Far Cry 5, where you go back and play as uh, one of the characters in this game Far Cry 5, and you play as this Vietnam veteran going through this, um, you know, kind of typical Vietnam missions, kind of like the games from the early 2000s. It's really the same kind of thing. It's it's uh, you go in and you're doing these tactical objectives and you're trying to get extracted. And once you're extracted, that's the end of the game. Most of the games never get to the end. They don't like, you know, go up to 1975. They play, have you playing as a soldier and you're extracted before the war ends so we don't have to deal with the loss. Um, or conversely, there's a game that was released in 2020 called When I Was Young, which was made by uh, Polish uh, video game developers. It's only like six people, but they were, I've, I've read interviews of them kind of explaining how they made the game and why they made the game. And they were just, fascinated with 1960s music and Vietnam War movies and novels. So they wanted to make a game about it. But in their game, uh, you do kind of more mundane things. So like the game starts with you like talking with your family about wanting to join the war instead of being drafted. Uh, And then you walk by anti-war protests in your way to the draft office. And um, then when you get to Vietnam, you're, you know, you're charged with maybe like doing some mundane tasks, like carrying gas from one side of the base to the other. 
or you play one part where you go on R and R, and you're in Japan and you go into a bar and the character like smokes weed or something. I mean, I don't know. It does. It just it looks at the Vietnam War and it's not like completely combat driven. It's it is more narrative driven, uh, and it's kind of more looking at mundane aspects of the war as opposed to all of the gung ho you're going and shooting and killing everybody type of thing. And so what do you I, think? I, yeah. What do you think that reflects? Uh, if you know, we're thinking it's 2020, 2021, we're thinking like historians. What do you think the sort of expansion into the social history of the Vietnam War, which was, of course, a historiographical trend that happened decades ago, but what do you think that, his, uh, that sort of expansion suggests about how, um, I guess it was made by Polish developers, but you know, it's played and we're thinking about it in an American context. What do you think that suggests about how the Vietnam war is going to be remembered when the people who fought it are, are going to start to be, you know, to really all pass from the scene literally. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't see much changing in terms of commercial games and how they're developed in America in terms of how they would reflect the war because, Again, these are, especially if you're dealing with a giant video game developer like EA or Activision or something like that, that, you know, makes games that have teams of hundreds of people and cost millions of dollars to do. They're less uh, willing to experiment. They're maybe less willing to go off the beaten path and try to attempt a narrative that is uh, different than all of the you go in and save the world by shooting everybody kind of narratives. Um, But, you know, there might be more indie developers there's certainly like a, a bigger space in video game uh, development now for smaller developers, such as the people I'd mentioned that created the game when I was young, to release narratives that are more nuanced or at least different than the kind of mainstream thing. Cool. Well, Clayton, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. It was a real pleasure. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Great. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.